Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Pastor Luke and others, and welcome for those of you online. And I've been hearing so many people recently say, oh, I saw you online. I liked your shirt. <laughs> others said I didn't like it. But uh, anyway, what a joy. Thank you for coming. And I know you could be doing anything else with your time right now. You could be out on a golf course or you could be laying in bed, but you are watching. And thank you for watching uh, hundreds every week now. And so and if they, you happen to be around the world, uh, we're so grateful to welcome you as well. And for each of you that are here this morning, thank God that we are inside today. Hallelujah. And not sure how long we can do that, but uh, we'll certainly be uh, ready to get into that new building. And I'm excited about that. Living a faithful life. That's what we've been talking about. These days of recent have been just miserable, really, <laughs> between the heat and uh, then, of course, the uh, smoke has been just uh, incredible. The heat itself reminds me, I couldn't help but uh, my mind go back 40-plus years ago now. And uh, I was uh, unmarried, uh, getting ready to be married to Lynette, my first wife, and I got a job. Uh, I felt like, uh, you know, Jacob uh, working for... You know, uh, Rachel there, uh, and uh, I, it was a long job for sure, and we, uh, we worked, at a, worked at a spray company, uh, an agricultural spray company down in the southern part of the valley there in Delano, and uh, we would get up a real early, that's the first real job I think I ever had. Uh, we would usually start at five, sometimes even four, that alone was enough to kill you, but to be there at that place, and then we'd drive and uh, oftentimes, we'd drive all the way down to the grapevine over to Mettler area there. And so we'd go up there and those, if you ever go over the grapevine, look over to the right and you'll see those big pipes and everything. And that's where we were and lots of uh, vineyards there and orange orchards just everywhere. Well, uh, if it was 100 there in Delano, it was 120 right up there. I mean, it was just suffocatingly hot and miserable. And yet... I look back, and it was one of the most, strangely so, one of the most amazing spiritual journeys of my life. It was absolutely incredible. And here's the reason why. Uh, I, was the, uh, I was the one who was the mixer. And so the nurse uh, truck driver would come there and, uh, with his big tanks, and I would jump up on top of the tank there, and I'd pour the insecticide in, and... and uh, It'd start mixing up there, and then I'd jump down. And so between those trucks, about 15-minute lap. And so 15 minutes uh, would go by, and there I was, quiet. You could just hear a few birds. I mean, no car sound. You'd hear the sprayer off in the distance. Hot as anything, but I would nestle up underneath a, an old orange tree, and I'd always bring with me biographies, Christian biographies. And I read stories, so many amazing stories. My heart got on fire for God just reading those amazing stories of men and women who just serve God faithfully. And I will tell you, I, I just encourage anybody, if you ever find yourself a little dry, just get a good Christian biography. It'll just, uh, it'll just get you going. But here's what I would say, and here's why I bring that up. Because I noticed a common thread through every single one, whether it was William Carey, whether it was Adoniram Judson, whether it was Madame Gaillon, or whether it was Fenelon, or whether it was uh, any of the great preachers, Charles Spurgeon, um, David Brainerd, David Livingston, all these great uh, preachers and men and women of God, they all had one common characteristic faithful. They were faithful. Some maybe better speakers than others, maybe some better organizers than others, but they were all had one thing in common. They were faithful to the Word. They were faithful to Christ. They were faithful to their calling. And I will tell you, brothers and sisters, faithfulness is so important. Scripture records so many that were faithful. Moses is said in Hebrews chapter 3, to have been faithful in all of his house, meaning all of his uh, 
people that followed him and all the things that he did, whether not just in his spiritual service, but he was just a faithful father, a faithful husband. He was a faithful man. He was faithful in his home as well as out in the world. In Romans chapter 4, the Bible says that Abraham is the father of the faithful. Scripture talks about Epaphras, faithful, Gaius, faithful, Tychicus, faithful. Uh, So many men and women in Scripture are faithful. That's the common thread. And I will tell you, folks, if there's ever a time, and thank you, Pastor Luke, for reminding us of how exciting it's going to be to be in that new building. There has never been a season in American history where a country needed a Bible-preaching, gospel-glorifying church than right now. We need it now. And I'm excited about getting there. And I just know God's going to do something so exciting, so new, so beautiful. These are days when we need Christ. The church needs to stand up. The church needs to be a bright witness. I mean, we are, it, is almost, it's, it is just like reading the book of Revelation right now. I mean, think about it. Fires everywhere. Our governor's kind of wondering why there's so much fire. It's strange, isn't it? You close down all the churches, and then God sends fire. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Disease, violence, death. I mean, it's like reading the four horsemen of the apocalypse right there. Folks, the, the, you know, we, we've been saying the future is now, and it is now. And what is needed more than ever from God's people is faithfulness. We need everybody stand uh, true and stand strong as never before. And I just want to say thank you. I commend you for being here and it's, I don't take it for granted. I know you could be doing a lot of other things, but you got up, you braved the disease, and you braved the smoke, and you came to church today, and I just commend you, and I applaud your faithfulness. I mean, I will tell you, we owe it to our forefathers. We owe it to so many who have paid many the ultimate price, and we owe it to future generations Folks, we cannot give them a, a, a weak church. We cannot give them a weak faith. We must be strong and finish strong, and we must be there for our future generations. And so, and of course, we owe it mostly to our Savior. The Bible says that Jesus purchased the church with His blood. And if He purchased it with His blood, my friend, we ought to do everything we can to keep it going and be faithful. And so thank you. We are going to be faithful, and today we're going to talk about some marks of faithfulness, and I believe it'll be a a blessing to your heart. certainly was to me. Let's all bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for faithful men and women, faithful servants of God who I read about in those biographies. Thank you for the Bible characters. Thank you for this church. Thank you for faithful men and women. Now, Lord, as we get into your word, we don't expect to know it simply by our minds, but reveal to the truth by your Spirit. Thank you for these that are here. Bring our minds and our hearts together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The journey of faithfulness through Scripture is so wide. Uh, It's so deep. It's so full. It's so exciting. As I began thinking that this would be a good uh, uh, journey, I began studying and refreshing my mind again. And even though I've read the Bible through and through uh, dozens, dozens, several hundred times, again, just uh, how exciting it was to remind myself of uh, faithfulness. And so the outline that we're sort of following is the model of faithfulness. And we talked about several models, the meaning of faithfulness last week, and today the marks of faithfulness. We're going to be uh, talking about the message and the motivation and the means for being faithful. And then, of course, uh, the greatest thing of all, how can we manifest it and what will happen when we manifest it? And so let's go to the book of Thessalonians, please, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. The book of Thessalonians, like many of the other epistles, are named after a city. Thessalonians uh, is named after a city today called uh, Thessaloniki, and we usually say Thessalonica, 
But uh, the Greeks say Thessaloniki. It's a beautiful uh, city, pretty large city now, over a million residents, north and east of Athens on the uh, incredible, uh, beautiful uh, Aegean Sea. And there they are. There were the, the great apostle Paul came into that city. And in that city, he had perhaps his greatest ministry ever. He was there two weeks, not a year and a half like Corinth, two weeks. That's all. He was there for two weeks and a church got started and that church took off like a rocket. I mean, it just went gangbusters for the Lord and people were getting saved daily and the church was just flourishing. It was an exciting moment. And yet in the midst of that excitement, as always, the devil gets his nose in and uh, persecution began, doctrinal problems uh, came. There were people that began to spread uh, a rumor that, hey, Jesus has already come. And, you know, we missed it. And now, <clears throat> now we just have to <clears throat> do our best. <coughs> Excuse me. And so uh, persecution, uh, doctrinal uh, issues. And of course, we read other parts of the book of Thessalonians that uh, there apparently were some moral issues and as always, the devil just gets in there and just uh, makes people think things and get errors. It's terrible. And so the apostle Paul said, all right, we need to regroup. <laughs> and uh, he said, now, here is what we need. We need to be faithful. I need to encourage everybody to be faithful. And here is what faithfulness looks like. And so he gives four marks here. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 1. We're going to read it together. Verses 1 through 5. All right, let's just read it out loud. And if you don't have uh, your Bible with you, uh, you can look up here on the PowerPoint. We uh, preach from the King James Version. All right. All right, ready, begin. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Therefore, marks here, which become a summary of a faithful life. First of all, a faithful life is characterized by prayerfulness. Finally, brethren, when he says finally, uh, he usually doesn't mean finally. He's a typical preacher. Finally, my final point, and then they usually go another 15 minutes after that. But finally, brethren, what he simply means is let's sum it all up. Brethren, pray for us. Bottom line, a faithful Christian is a praying Christian. What a wonderful thing to know that we have great power at our fingertips. We are not powerless. We, do not, we are not weaponless. We have power. Yes, Satan is at work in this world, but we can stand in his way. We can foil the foiler, and we can pray to God and see him answer. You know, today everybody is boycotting everything. They are throwing out much of our rich American culture and history. They want to defund those that protect us. It's called cancel culture. You've probably heard that phrase. Many people really don't even know exactly what it means. But I will say this. I've got an idea for us. Let's give a whole new definition to cancel culture. Let's cancel the devil right now. Let's just cancel his work by praying. That's the kind of cancel culture that I want to talk about. And so he says here, brethren, brethren, meaning sisters too, not just the men. He's talking about praying. Now, all of us should pray individually. We know that. We were told that. We're commanded to do that. We're commended in doing that. But we also should pray together with our brothers and sisters. And there's a reason for that, because when we pray, great things happen. The Holy Spirit takes the faith of one person and adds it to the faith of another person, 
and the power of God grows exponentially. You may remember in the Old Testament, Moses said, God told me to tell you that one of you can put to flight a thousand men. One can put to flight a thousand men, but two of you shall put to flight 10,000. What? That doesn't seem to make sense. You would think if be two, there'd be 2,000, but no. God says there's exponential power when you come together to pray. I believe we ought to pray individually, but praying together is powerful. Praying, brethren, pray. That's why I think, folks, when you come to church and someone tells you something and they may have a burden or they might have a blessing, why don't you just stop right there and say, let's pray. Let's just pray. And I see people all over doing that. By the way, thank you for that. I see you praying in the pews and in the chairs and in the lobby and outside and by the cars. Keep doing that. Let's just pray about that right now. I think that ought to be uh, on all of our minds. Let's pray together about that. Someone shares a burden, let's pray together about that. Someone shares a blessing, let's just thank God for that. Right now, grab them by the hand, or if your pastor might, put your arm on their shoulder and say, let's just thank God for that. Pray. I know, pastor Mike, I know you and your wife are probably watching right now. I'm just kidding you. And, uh, but uh, pray. Brethren, pray for us. Prayer is asking but it's more. It's talking to God. Folks, we ought to always be just talking to God. Talking to God. You hear somebody mumbling and saying, what are you doing? Just talking to God. Just talking to God. My wife is really good about just talking to the Lord. She talks to the Lord about so many things. And I just want to commend you to just talk to the Lord. That's what he's saying. Brethren, get together and talk to the Lord. Yes, ask, but just talk to the Lord about everything. And then notice what he says. He says, brethren, pray for us. What? Think about this for a moment. I mean, if anybody could have functioned on the abilities, the, the God-given natural abilities, the, the calling, the anointing, if anybody could have just functioned without prayer, it would have been Paul. I mean, this man is brilliant. You cannot read through the book of Romans and say, wow, that guy... I know that's the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit put it through him. Wow, he's woo, way out there. I mean, he, is, he must have been 190 IQ. Unbelievable that God would take such a brilliant man, fill him with such power, and yet here he was, he was saying, I can't do anything without your prayers. Pray for us, because we need your prayers. The headwinds in the early church was intense. The culture, absolutely immoral. We happened to be able to visit Greece and some of the paintings on the walls of some of those Grecian temples was, I mean, it'd make a, it'd make a sailor blush. You're just like, oh, goodness gracious. You think that our culture is immoral today? The culture was immoral. The religion was pagan. The government was de- Determinedly anti-Christ and anti-Jewish. Each individual believer was battling the flesh. I'm telling you to try to build a church in Thessalonica, it was just incredible. And yet Paul said, we need prayer. We have to pray. Pray for us. That little word for, a little bit of interesting uh, word study there. It's the word, we get the word peripheria from it. P-E-R-I. You can look it up in your Strong's later, but pray, which means around. So what he's saying is, folks, pray a hedge around us. Pray around us. Surround us in prayer because we have a known enemy coming from the front. But while we're fighting that front enemy, someone's coming up from my behind. Pray against that enemy. There's someone's going to sneak in and get my family. There's someone's going to sneak in and try to get my finances. There's someone's going to come in and uh, he's going to get me from this side. So pray for all, pray a hedge about us. I'm reminded in Psalm 125 verse 2, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. Here the psalmist used that beautiful illustration of the mountains around Jerusalem. Geologists tell us there are seven distinct peaks not a whole lot unlike Rome, seven peaks around Jerusalem. 
It is covered all 360 degrees, which was amazing. Enemies couldn't get in. Wind was blocked in so many different directions. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is around about His people. Henceforth, they're ever. Many a time I've prayed, oh God, just put a hedge around and put in the, as the mountains are around about, God, protect us on every side. Because we can't always remember what to pray for. We ought to pray. We ought to co- uh, continually surround the ministry with prayer. I got an idea for you. If you wake up in the middle of the night, I wake up in the middle of the night quite often. Pray. If you wake up, you say, well, I don't know what, I'm just tired of waking up in the middle of the night. I agree, but here's, here's a plan. Pray. The devil might get so mad that you're praying, he'd just keep you asleep. Pretty good idea right there. Pray. Just pray. You say, well, I don't know what to pray for, folks. Pray for the ministry. Pray, and we'll see you here in a minute. If, you're, if you ever get bored, well, I get bored. I, no, I, honestly, I can't, I don't understand people get bored. I, it's, I, I've ne- I can't, I just can't imagine. But if you ever get bored, I know some folks do get bored. If you get bored, pray. Just say, it's time to pray. If you wake up in the middle of the night, pray. If you're bored, pray. Do you need something to fill an hour? Pray. Pray. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, brethren, pray around us. Pray a hedge around us like the mountains around Jerusalem. Now, if John, or excuse me, if Paul, one of the, perhaps the greatest apostle, and outside of the John the Baptist, uh, one of the greatest New Testament characters, we need to pray. It's been said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. What should we pray for? Well, here we find uh, two things in this scripture. First of all, for the success of the message. For the success of the message in two ways to be successful. First of all, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Notice what it says. That the word of the Lord may have free course. That the word of the Lord may have free course. Pray that God's word would run swiftly. Many people say, well, pastor, I really don't have the strength to you know, minister, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the skills, and I get all that, and I, that's probably true in many respects, although I will tell you there's probably a whole lot more opportunities than you might imagine. But here's one thing all of us can do. We can all pray. We can pray for the success of the gospel, the success of the Word of God. Notice what it says, that the Word may have free course may run, actually, is the word there. Run without encumbrances, may run without chuck holes, may run without hedges, may run without getting any, any distractions. Pray that the Bible will run because, folks, ministry is a race against time. And I will tell you, the older I get, the more I realize it is a race against time. I, and especially in, now in my ministry, I realize the amount of preaching and teaching I'll do is limited. And so I choose prayerfully what we're going to talk about because I know we may never address this subject again or at least this passage again. And so I want to make sure it is a race against time. I love what my pastor friend, evangelist Paul Sika, uh, told me one time I was in the car with him, he was just barreling down the road. I don't think he ever obeyed the speed limit. And I said, good night, man, you are a crazy driver. And uh, he said, you can't win the world to Christ and go the speed limit. And uh, I thought that was a pretty good idea. So uh, a couple years ago, uh, John and Nicole were getting married. And I, uh, Pauline and I were, had a dinner. It was a Friday evening. And so we had dinner, and then some little things got in the way. And I began to realize this was get, we were getting terribly close to the wedding time, and I think it was at six o'clock. And so I realized we better we better get on it. So we come flying down Lower Sack, come over there on the Armstrong Road, and I mean I was barreling. I had my suit on, ready to come for the wedding. I had a part in that, and uh, all of a sudden I looked in my mirror. I could not believe it. There was this big red light in my, 
And it was a CHP pulling me over. Oh, good. Of all times to get uh, pulled over, I'm already late. And here I am, the pastor of the home church, getting pulled over on Armstrong. Oh, goodness gracious. I pulled over. And this dear um, uh, lady walks up to the thing, taps on my thing. <laughs> Hello, ma'am. Uh, she said, sir, may I see your driver's license, please? You probably know why I'm, I stopped you. And I said, um, a backlight? <laughs> and uh, she said, you were speeding. I said, I said well, I, I, I might have been, but I said, I, I usually don't speed. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, yeah, she just kind of smiled. Yeah, right. That's what they all say. And uh, I really don't. I, I, I really don't. I'm telling you, folks, I don't usually. But I was, I was late. And then I said, I'm the pastor of the home church. She looked at me and said, uh-huh. And uh, I said, it's the church right over there. It, you can almost see it. And she said, uh-huh. And uh, she went back to, and then she came back. And she said, all right, pastor. She said, uh, she said all right, I'm going to let you go this time. But she said, just pray for me. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Jesus. I prayed for her. And I still... I don't know who she is, but I love that sister. And, uh, but you know what? I was in a hurry, bless God. And I was going to serve God. And you can't go the speed limit serving God. You got to go fast. Look what it says in Psalm 147, verse 15. He sendeth forth his commandment on the earth, and his word runneth very swiftly. That says it right there. You break the speed limit. And that's what it says right there. I think actually the psalmist was referring to creation, how that God just sends things this earth and you can't stop it. You may remember last Sunday morning. I mean, I'll never forget. We were, was it last Sunday morning? We were sitting outside and the lightning strikes. That's right. And Moses, uh, Pastor Mike was up there preaching and the lightning strikes were coming behind him. I was thinking, boy, this, we're out here under this metal structure in the middle of a lightning storm. That is really smart. But anyway, um, here we are. But I mean, can you imagine for a moment trying to stop that lightning? <laughs> Nobody stops that lightning. It is fast. And that's what the power of God's Word. The government tries to stop God's Word. Can't do it. People try to stop people from serving God. You can't do it. The Bible says God's Word is so swift, nothing can stop it. It hits like a bolt of lightning. And I think what we're praying here is that God would just spread the word. Spread the word, Lord. Do you realize how the word of God is being spread in this world right now? It is incredible. Between the internet, all the words that we get out there, the online ministry, the podcast. We have people listening in the islands all over the world, Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's amazing the power today of his word just going everywhere. And folks, I mean, and in this new worship center, state-of-the-art, beautiful new video system, and uh, we're going to be able to get the word out. May the word go forth. That's what we're praying. First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19. I love this passage. I, I pray this so often. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Pray, O oh God, may none of pastor's words fall to the ground. The idea here is that Samuel was so anointed, so in connection with God, that even his casual words hit with power. Even talking about the weather or talking about whatever, they just hit the mark. His words were so powerful that they made a huge difference. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9, the word of God is not bound. I might be bound, Timothy. I might be chained up, but I thank God that everything I've ever said is not chained up. The Word of God is not bound, and we're praying that God would use the Word and spread the Word. And folks, that's what we ought to... Folks, there has never been a day like today where each of us can do something. Each of us can do something. You may say, oh, I don't know what to do. Everybody now can get online, and you can have a blog. 
You can uh, be an influencer. You can uh, send emails. You can have, I mean, it is absolutely incredible. You can get in chat rooms and this and that. It is a day like another. It is a day to truly pray, God, may your word run rapidly. All of us can do something for God. We can pass out tracts. I read of one guy who went to street corner, and he just would look up. People would walk by, kind of look at him, and then they'd start looking up. Pretty soon other people, everybody's, what's he looking at? And then when he'd get a little crowd, he'd say, Jesus is coming. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, man, that's a pretty good idea right there. Just stand on a street corner looking up and in a few minutes just say, I want you to know Jesus is coming. Let me tell you about it. And uh, folks, there is things to do today. I tell you what, this verse right here is as never before, the success of the message, not only that the word may be spread rapidly, but that God's word would be honored deeply. Notice what it says, that they may have free course and be glorified, respected, admired, accepted. May God's word go forth and be respected. Today, folks, we live in a day of blatant disrespect of that which is sacred. It is absolutely appalling. The selfish and disrespectable rioters of late have been just uh, so upsetting to our hearts. They are supposedly upset over systemic, which most of them don't even know what that means, systemic discrimination. For example, just a few days ago in Portland... They were burning American flags along with Bibles, piling them up and burning Bibles. That was their statement about America. We hate America and we hate the Bible Foundation. Folks, there is a disrespect upon that which is holy and good as never before. And yet as deplorable as that is, honestly, friends, it is even more deplorable when you and I bring shame to the name of Christ by our living and by our faithless behavior, may God help us to honor the name of Christ and glorify Him by our attitudes and by our actions. May we glorify God. May we live for His glory. Every spring, uh, beautiful things happens in our little roundabout at our house. It's not a very big little uh, planter area, but... Uh, we have some ice plant there, and for some reason doesn't grow much during the year, but we know it's there every spring because every spring these beautiful little yellow, bright yellow flowers come out. I mean, they, they last for about 30 days or so, but that's it. But it's just, I love it because when you drive in, those little bright flowers in a cool spring morning are just, they're so big, all night long they close up. And in the morning, they just open up, and then all day long, they kind of incline their little faces towards the sun. And I thought, you know what, that's, to me, that's what Christians ought to be. And God, the sun, He is the brightness of our life. May all day long, we just reflect Him. And when we don't reflect God, may we close up. May we reflect our Lord, not only for the success of the message, but number two, we ought to pray for the safety of the messengers. Look at verse two, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now, Paul was not wimping out here. He was not saying, look, I'm afraid to die. In fact, he said, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be offered. You may remember, he said, I'm instant in season and out of season. But here's what he knew. He knew that he could accomplish more if there wasn't so many distractions. He knew he could accomplish more if there wasn't so much resistance. He knew that he could do more if we could, if we could have just some clarity. I told my precious wife uh, sometime this week, I tell you, I, I tell you what, it is, honestly, it is a miracle that there's even anybody in church right now <laughs> because of the virus, because of the lockdown, because of the weather, because of the the air quality, because of the riots, because of the, the anti-God sentiment, the atheism, 
because of all the things that are going on. I tell you what, you talk about uh, a gale force wind against the church, and yet look at here this morning. Look at this full church, and look at all these people serving God, all beautifully socially distancing people, for those of you online. And uh, here we all are serving the Lord. Folks, I'm thankful that we are here to be able to serve God, because there's a lot of distractions out there right now. And he said specifically, pray that we would be delivered from unreasonable people. Unreasonable. Now, we might imagine that as meaning immoral, and I suspect it could be. But actually, the word doesn't mean that. It actually means more like insane or irrational, absurd, misguided, distorted, unbalanced. And if there's ever a generation of unbalanced thinking, it's now. The idea, for example, of this whole global warming, climate change, in all the ridiculous things that they're saying to do about it. As a church, it affected us. I think it would be a good thing to pray. We had a perfectly good church bus, beautiful diesel bus that so faithful, such a great bus bringing boys and girls uh, to church. And yet, because of the new diesel regulations, supposedly because of climate change, if we drove more than a thousand miles a year, we had to get rid of it because uh, it w- didn't comply. Okay, well, fine. We went ahead and did it. Here's the strange thing. A family bought it that wanted a, a traveling home. They're going to drive 100,000 miles a year in that same bus, but it, just because we can't, we can't do more than 1,000 miles because it's a, some kind of weird diesel, folks. Crazy. That's unreasonable. Pray that God would deliver us from unreasonable. And there are so many unreasonable restrictions right now. Just unreasonable. Pray against it. And then wicked. Folks, that's just plain evil. Wicked. Aggressive wickedness. There is a wicked undercurrent. When you think that there's a conspiracy, trust me, there's a conspiracy. Now, I'm not going to be worried about it, but there is. It is the demons who are constantly poking people. And it says, for all people have not faith. Now, I am, I am shocked at the depravity of our generation. And yet, Paul was saying here, we need to understand when people don't have faith, that is, when they don't have the gospel, there is no telling where they'll go. I mean, it's just, they'll go places and they'll do things and they'll, you just wonder, why can't you just let us have our faith and let us have our Worship in God. Why do you have to do what you're doing? And Paul said, because they don't have the gospel. For all men have not the faith. But thank God we can pray and we have the ear of the Almighty. All right. Number one, a faithful life is characterized by prayerfulness. Number two, that was a long point, but these will be a little bit quicker. But number two, a faithful life is characterized by fearlessness. Faithful people are trusting people. Look at verse three. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Now, we can always pray. We can always and ought to be prayerful, but we ought to recognize that we ought to be fearless people. No matter what happens, fearless. Stressless? No. Fearless? Yes. Painless life? No. Fearless? Yes. Hassleless? No. Fearless? Yes. We ought to be fearless people. Fearless. I, one of the biggest compliments I ever felt like I received was someone who said, Preacher, you are a fearless man. And he wasn't talking about the fact that, uh, about my fear of bugs or fear of snakes or fear of things like that. He was just saying, you are fearless. And I, they were very grateful that their family was here so that they could hear a fearless preacher. And notice what it says, who shall establish you? and keep you from evil, establish you. When you're fearless, you'll be established in the Word. Actually, the concept there is being strengthened from the inside. I was talking with a man the other day, and I was telling him my back was kind of hurting me. He said, man, I, I got a shirt the other day. He said it has little rods in it. He said it keeps me like that, up straight. I said, really? He said, yeah, it works great. And I thought, isn't that something? I'm going to get me one of those shirts like that and, you know, strengthen everything. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, when I get the word inside of me, it's like putting a shirt with rods in. It just makes me stand up straight. I am fearless. 
It keeps me from evil. It guards us from the enemy. Fearless. My beloved first wife, Lynette, wonderful Christian wife and mother, thank so much for her heritage she left us. And those of you who were here during those years, you may remember one of the last things she ever was able to say publicly. She was sitting over here, the piano was a little different area. She was sitting on this very same stool here, and she took the microphone, and she commended everybody for their faithfulness. And towards the end of her little chat there, she dying of breast cancer, really only a few weeks after that, she told everybody, she said, I am not fearful. You can't scare me with heaven. You can't scare me with heaven. What a legacy. You're not going to scare me with heaven. Someone says, well, what about the virus? Look, I don't want to, that sounds like nasty stuff. But folks, you can't scare me with heaven. I mean, I'm not going to be scared about going to heaven. I'm going to take all reasonable precautions. But folks, we can't live fearful lives and be a God-blessed, God-honoring, Bible-honoring Christian. A faithful life is characterized by prayerfulness. Fearlessness, number three, by steadfastness. Look at verse four. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we commend you. Steady obedience, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, week by week, decade by decade, year by year, just serving God, confident. Paul said, you are the real deal. You are Uh, You have just uh, blessed me by your faithfulness. I will tell you that before 2020 came, too many of our American churches seemed like they'd kind of got off course. And I'm not sure that at times we didn't. But it seems like so often we get off course. And before 2020 came, it seemed like so many American churches had become just glorified country clubs. Everybody kind of wiggling for the best perks and what church they'd go to. I tell you what, 2020 has kind of separated the men from the boys. There's others, frankly, churches have become nothing more than service clubs. We're going to pick up trash. That was the height of their year. Folks, I'm all for picking up trash, but that ought to come after we've been preaching the gospel. And uh, we, I tell you what, though, I thank God because we have had a reset in America, and I thank the Lord for so many more churches here in California and across America who are standing unwavering saying, we're going to be faithful. I've been so blessed to see them, and for those of you who may be out there and maybe sitting watching us, thank you for your faithfulness, and we need to work together. And notice what it says, whatever lie ahead, Paul said, he thanked God for their faithfulness, for the things they're doing, the things that they're commanded. The things that they are commanded to do, they're doing. And it takes us all being on the same page is what he was saying. He was saying, look, if we're going to do something for God, we got to be on the same page. we got to be together in this thing. we got to work together. Years ago, I remember rowing with somebody. We were in a little rowboat there at a park in Visalia, California. And I was a teenager, and they were sitting there next to me. They had an oar, and I had an oar, and the thought was we were going to make it across the pond or make it over there. That's a whole lot easier said than done, I will tell you right now. That is a strange thing, because you're rowing that way. Row with me. And that's kind of what Paul was saying. He was saying, folks, let's put our mind together on the commands of God. These are non-optional truths. We can't everybody row in their own way. Row together. Let's row together. Let's do the things which God has commanded. That's why in any of these uh, rowing uh, groups and sports, there's always someone at the beginning, the coxswain, who says, row, row. He gives a command. You can't just row whenever you want. We got to do this thing together. And that's what Paul was saying. Thank you for following the commands of God. That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 2, you know what commandments we gave you, not suggestions, but commandments. And that's what a church is about. It's about giving the commandments of God. 
Some people say, well, it's okay just to listen online because it's all about the Word. Folks, church is not a Bible study. It's not a Bible study. A Bible study, the idea is it's optional. We're going to think about it. It's educational. I can, you know, question it. I can obey it or not obey it. Folks, when you go to church, you hear the commands of God from a man of God in the Word of God. In the house of God, it is about the commands. It is something you've got to do. That's why for me, and I know for many of you, it takes so long to read through the Bible because you get convicted on every page and you've got to stop, repent, get right with God. I mean, it takes forever to read through the Bible because you can't just read it like, oh yeah, it's really a nice book. You, you're not reading it. You're not getting it. To read the Word of God with a command concept. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, teach them to do the commands. Teach them to do the commands of God. People don't like the commands of God, but thank God that we are here to follow the commands of God. And then finally, a faithful life is characterized by prayerfulness, fearlessness, steadfastness, and finally, godliness. You want to know what a faithful life is. It's a godly person. Verse 5, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. A faithful life is a growing life. A faithful life is a life that is growing in love of God, a love for God, loving the things that God loved. It is a growing Christianity, not stagnant. This last week, I walked by a small little body of water that because of the heat and because of a lack of movement, whoo, man. Just, now, I've walked by that little body of water before, but I'm telling you what, it was stinky. Woo! Why? Because it had gotten stagnant. But when there's movement, you don't smell that. Folks, when we just sit there and soak and just, just kind of dwell, folks, we get stinky. Paul said, grow in your love of God and your love for soul and grow for the Word of God. We ought to grow. Be intentional in your Christian life. And then notice that last part there. It says, into the patient waiting of Christ, for Christ. That little, that little preposition there, for Christ, could also be translated of. Now, I think Paul was saying, Jesus is coming soon. I think that'll help your spiritual life by thinking about his return. And I know many people have said, Jesus, come now. <laughs> Amen. Jesus, come. And I think that is a way to grow. But I really suggest here that what the Bible is saying is not a patient waiting for the coming of Christ, but the patience of Christ. I'm patiently waiting on Christ, that Christ would be in me and I would grow into being like Christ. When people disappoint me, keep your eyes on Jesus. When people hurt me, keep your eyes on Jesus. When people shame us, we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what he's saying. Just keep your eyes on the Lord because people, they'll do whatever. Paul said, just keep your eyes on the Lord. Church, keep your eyes on the Lord. Because you're going to hear this, and you're going to hear this, and the governor's going to say this, and the council's going to say this, and your neighbors are going to do this, and there's going to be doctrinal things going on here, but just keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus has never failed you, and He never will. I close with this uh, beautiful reminder. One of the stories I read about those many years ago out there in that beautiful, uh, underneath one of those beautiful orange trees there in Mettler, California, was the story of Polycarp. Polycarp was perhaps one of, if not the most well-known martyr of the early church. Very unique in that he uh, knew some of the apostles, but he was a bridge between that and the moder more modern church. In 150 A.D., Polycarp, great man of God, was martyred. Those that were around him were able to record what happened. The emperor's soldiers came and found him lying down in his cottage. 
He could have escaped, but he said, God's will be done. When he saw the soldiers of the proconsul, he said, please, would you give me one hour to spend time with God before you take me? They said they would. He called for some food and drink and said, please give it to these soldiers. They let him finish praying and then they loaded him up onto that trailer and uh, took him into town. As he came into the city, there was an uproar. Polycarp is here and Polycarp is here. When the proconsul saw him, he said these words, by the fortune of Caesar, repent, reproach Christ, and I will set you free. You may have heard these famous words, but I quote them to you now. Here is what Polycarp said, faithful man of God. Polycarp said, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? He's never done me wrong. Folks, Jesus will never do you wrong. Be faithful. That's why we want to be faithful, because he's never done us wrong. I will have you burned, he said. You threaten me with fire, which burns for one hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. He said, burn me? What are you waiting for? Burn me now. They led him to the thatchets there. He crawled up on that ledge. He took off his outer garments so that he could burn quicker. And he just looked up to heaven. The tradition is that he took way too long in consuming. And he actually was like a giant candle for God. Polycarp. He's done me so good for all these years. How could I be anything but faithful to him? Let's be faithful to the end. And may those who come behind us find us faithful as well. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The marks of a faithful life, prayerfulness, fearlessness, no matter what happens, fearless, steadfast, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And when we're 86 years old, may we say, God has been so good to me. And then godliness, a life of faithfulness is growing in the Lord, growing in the Word. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.